0: Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. The novel Fear of Flying turned 50 this year. In case you don't know, it was written by Erica Zhang, and it was super controversial when it first came out because its main character was a woman who treated sex cavalierly. You know, She wanted it. She sought it out. She had a bunch of it. To put it glibly, she treated sex kind of like a stereotypical guy in 1973. The book was written in the middle of the sexual revolution and the proliferation of the birth control pill, so... It just captured a certain group of women going through a significant transformation that we still feel today. But the thing about the book is that it was pretty transparently autobiographical and it had an impact on Erica Jong's life in a bit, we'll hear from her daughter, the writer and podcaster Molly Jong fast, talking about what it was like growing up in the shadow of the book. But first, we dug up NPR's interview with Erica Jong from when the book was published, and she talked to reporter Stephen Banker about how concerned she was about how her husband's family would react to the book. That's after the break.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor Live right, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. All right, since we're going back in time a bit, I just want to set the scene. It's
0: 1973, and author Erica Jong is married to a psychiatrist. Now, like I said before, Fear of Flying is pretty openly autobiographical, and it involves having sex outside of your marriage. And Erica Jong starts off this interview with Stephen Banker talking about the very idea of marriage.
3: I think there have been times in my life when I believe that, um, when I thought that marriage was the lesser of two evils. Actually, I rather believe in marriage, but I don't believe in it in an old kind of stereotyped sex role way. I mean... And uh, I give my heroine some of my own feelings about marriage. It seems to me that to have a long-standing, stable relationship with one person who is your best friend and whom you are loyal to and who is loyal to you is a pretty terrific thing. And I couldn't imagine life without it. What bugs me is having to um, do a lot of the things that are expected of the, quote, good wife For example, when I was writing this book, I was very concerned about the way my husband's family would feel or the way his patients would feel. Was I breaking out of the image of the good wife by writing freely about myself? What if one of his patients read the book? And it was an inhibiting thing on my shoulder all the time. Now that good wife image is something, obviously, that you can't, you can't use. I couldn't really be free as a creative artist if I had to play out the role of good little wifey and never tell the truth about my feelings. And throughout history, that's been the role that wifehood has cast women in. Don't be honest, it will put your husband in a bad light. I've even heard of women who were afraid to sign political petitions because their husbands were members of other political parties and they were afraid it would reflect badly women who were afraid to publish books because they thought it would hurt their families in some way so that image of wifehood we have to break out of being an appendage to another person because if we do that obviously we can never be independent in our in our work yeah. you know especially as artists but the other elements of marriage pairing coupling for life um Uh, being good to each other, caring about each other, leaning on each other. I think that's terrific.
4: What strikes me is that you're talking now, really, about what you're talking about all through the book, and that is gaining security through freedom. The basis of your book is the freedom in language, I think.
3: I think that's really true of the book. But I had to fight very hard to get to that place in my head where I could write that freely. And I've been very lucky in a lot of ways because I've had... um, people helping me for example my husband who who says you're an artist you write what you want uh, you don't write with me looking over your shoulder I mean I've had that kind of supportiveness now I've heard of other women writing. there
4: are characters in the book you know who say uh, you better not put me in your book
3: right the, the sister mm-hmm. the, the sister in my book says that and of course one always and, and, has and that and also tie- the
4: lover or at least he, he doesn't say you better not but he says how are you going to put me in your book
3: right very worried about it all the time that's true But I think I've been very lucky in the sense that um, my own husband is one of these very rare people who has a kind of vicarious participation in creativity. He's not a writer himself, but he feels like a kind of vicarious participant in the writing process, and he feels that he can sort of free me to do what I want in my writing. Now, I know of women... That's
4: funny. You're talking really about a master-slave relationship. He can free you.
3: Well, is it a master-slave relationship? I I don't.
4: Only someone who owns somebody can free him.
3: Right, you're quoting from the novel again. (laughs) Well, I, I was thinking of a friend that I have who's a poet and who at one time was living with a man. She was writing very depressed poems. And he kept saying, what will people think of me when they read your gloomy poems? They'll think that I'm so bad to you that you're so unhappy. And this is the kind of pressure that women have always written under. And I think maybe this is the reason that they haven't been so free. They care about personal relationships. They don't want to hurt people. They're so worried about who's going to be hurt by their book. But I I certainly feel that I was fortunate in living with somebody who was saying, you know, go ahead. You know, tell it true. Don't hold back. That that was helpful because I can't imagine going through the agony of writing a 400-page book, which takes years to write and requires a great deal of energy and enthusiasm, and courage, with you know without having that kind of loving support in the background. Now, that's not a master-slave relationship. Certainly, plenty of male writers through the ages have been dependent on women in that way. Um, I can think of many, many examples. Tolstoy is one, you know, Tolstoy who abused his wife, but there was the little woman in the background saying, go ahead, Leo, write it true, you know? And I think that women also need that kind of support in their creative work.
4: Thank you very much. Erica Zhang. Her book is Fear of Flying.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at betterhelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month.
2: This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. What's interesting about this
0: next interview is that it isn't just a daughter, Molly Jung Fast, examining the legacy of her mother. It's also looking back at a previous generation of feminists and examining what they got right and what they got wrong, but also what the movement has gained and lost since 1973.
5: Erica Jung's novel, Fear of Flying, is narrated by a young writer named Isadora Wing. She's on her second husband and is searching for love, independence, purpose, and no-strings-attached sexual pleasure. The book was first published in 1973, a time when it was not widely acceptable for women to actively seek out those things, much less write about them. Fear of Flying went on to sell millions of copies, and now a new edition is being released to mark the 50th anniversary of the book. Before we get into it, a note to listeners, this conversation will include discussions about sex. Erica Jong's daughter, the writer and podcaster Molly Jong-Fast, wrote a foreword to the new edition of her mother's book, and she joins me now. Hi, Molly. Hi. Thanks for having me. You know, usually we ask authors to read a section of a book, and we're not going to ask you to read your mother's
6: writing Thank you.
4: about sex. <laughs>
5: it's very generous of you. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. You know, as Erica Jong's daughter, you you write that you didn't have the same relationship with this book that many people did. You, you say it felt deeply uncomfortable at times uh, because as you say the protagonist was a thinly veiled version of your mom. Do you remember when you first read it and what you were thinking that first time? So I read like about 200 pages and I thought,
6: "Oh, well, a lot of this stuff really happened." And then I thought, you know, you don't have to read any more of this. And I put it <laughs> down, and I never read it. I thought, I had this moment of like, you know, it's okay. I don't have to know everything. And I think my mental health has been the better for it, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Do you remember about how old you were at that time? I was about 15, I think, and I was reading it. And, you know, it was not like a secret. You know, this is the... The curse and the blessing of being a nepo baby, right, is that you uh, you get all these advantages and you get special treatment, but you also get this sense in which people know about you, things about you that you can't, you don't know what they are, but you know they know things about you, and that in the that can make you very crazy because you start thinking, what does this person know about me? What does this person think about me? I. I'm just glad I got out of it alive. <laughs> it was not good. I mean, look, the the reality is I'm very grateful because I had huge advantages from being the daughter of someone famous. Who even knows? You know, I'd probably be like a butter farmer in Iowa had I not been born into this family. You know. That doesn't sound so bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I like cows, but— You know, it's impossible to know like what part of my the course of my life was helped along by the
5: fame. You've said that fear of flying shaped the trajectory of your life in many ways. Why do you think it was important to re-release it 50 years later?
6: I think especially right now, after the fall of Roe, I mean, I don't think like I think of my mother and second wave feminism gets a real bad rap because they had Certainly some of the second wave feminists turned out to really be disappointing. When I think about my mother, I think about how she would always say to me, we got a lot of things wrong, but we got you Roe. We made Roe the law of the land, right? 1973. You have bodily autonomy. I always, you know, she'd always be like, if you ever needed an abortion, she would be be like 10 years old and you'd be like, if you ever need, and I was like, mom, what are you even talking about? But the point was that this was something that had not been available to women, right? That you you were sort of, you couldn't, you didn't have choices. If you got pregnant, you had no choices. And what I think is interesting is right now in America, we have Lost Roe, right? We have a real religious zealot called Mike Johnson, who is the Speaker of the House. So I think that when you have a book like Fear of Flying, which reminds you of what it meant to have the pill and what it meant to have abortion and what it meant, what the sea change was from not being able to have a bank account without a husband, you know, or a father on it. We have come very far and we have very far we could come back to. And I think that's a really important thing that we should be remembering that the world of 1973 is it, it, it could we could be back there
5: a lot has happened in 50 years clearly notwithstanding the fact that you uh for for reasons i fully understand <laughs> never finished reading fear of flying what what parts of it do you think will resonate with readers today and are there parts that might not have aged so well
6: yeah, I mean, anything written in 1973, and I think it's really important. My mom was a affluent Jewish woman who grew up in a certain kind of very cloistered way. You know, there wasn't the kind of intersectionality that we work really hard now to be able to include. It wasn't inclusive, and that was one of the biggest problems with that kind of feminism, was that it didn't include women of color, that it didn't strive for the inclusivity that we now know is so important. And I think even knew then it was so important. But there's really interesting stuff in there. And the reverberations, the way it changed, the way we write about sex, the way we think about sex, the way we think about liberation, that is really important. You know, there are a lot of people who come over to me and say things like... Their mothers left their husbands because of my mom's book, which I think is a dubious legacy, but did they feel good about it years later? I don't know. You know, I really want to not cause destruction in other people's lives, but maybe it worked out and maybe they were supposed to leave those husbands. I don't know. You know, that gets me a little itchy when people say that.
5: You know, I've read that your mother received a lot of fan mail um, from readers asking for relationship advice about things like whether to leave their husbands and sometimes even about bigger questions about just how to be a woman in the world. Do you know how she responded to them or if she responded to them? One of the
6: great, uh, weirdnesses of my life is like people would ask my mother for advice. And she was, I love her so much. And she is such a fabulous woman. She had some of the worst advice for me I'd ever gotten in my life. I mean, just incredibly bad advice. So I pray to God that these women never got a letter back. Look, you don't get married four times without having some Judgment issues. I mean, I actually was struck by what bad judgment she had about people. But, you know, some of what happens when you're famous is that people think they know you. So I think people thought
5: they knew her, which maybe they did. As this book comes out again 50 years later and reaches a new audience that was not born at the time, what do you hope the impact and the legacy might be of Fear of Flying? you know, books like this didn't exist
6: before it. I mean, that's an incredible thing. And and I think it's a really important to sort of track the trajectory of feminism. And it's just such a, it's really like a little time capsule. So I think there's a lot to be gleaned from that and from the experience of the publication of it and
5: from how the world changed since then. That's writer Molly Jong Fast. She's a special correspondent for Vanity Fair and host of the Fast Politics podcast. Her mother, Erica Jong's best-selling novel, Fear of Flying, is fifty years old. Molly, thanks so much for talking
6: with us. Thanks for having me.
0: And that's not all for this week. Catch us tomorrow with a bonus episode in your feed. Thanks.